podcast producer. Today's conversation is between Forefront lead pastor Jonathan Williams and singer-songwriter David Bazan, who headlined the first event of our Faith Culture Question series last week in Brooklyn. Our second guest is Lisa Sharon Harper, author of The Very Good Gospel. Lisa will be in New York City on Thursday, October 13. For more information and tickets, visit ForefrontNYC.com FCQ. Okay, just a warning before we begin, this episode has some colorful language, so it may not be one for the kids. Other than that, enjoy the conversation with David Bazan. So like last year, I saw your show at Bowery Ballroom where you came with the quartet, uh-huh. which is really cool. That was fun. Yeah, yeah. Did you did you enjoy that tour? That's yeah. That's really uh, cool. Yeah, I did. I enjoyed the tour. That show in particular was a blast. Uh, from the get-go it was so fun but yeah that i i lost a lot of money on that tour did you really man yeah yeah tons and tons i just yeah i but it uh but at the end me and the 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 cynical he's not cynical he's a wise old uh he's not even that old sound guy who was who made the record with us and did this did the sound his name is chris colbert he's out with uh leon bridges right now yeah but I asked him, I said, look, you know how much money we lost on this thing? Because he can do math, you know, just from seeing how many heads are in each show. Uh, and he said, yeah, I know how much. And I said, and yet I have the desire to do it again. It seems like it's the right thing. Knowing that if there was anybody in the world who... Who would tell you a, not to? Who, yeah, who would tell me, who would just give it to me straight is Chris. Uh and he said, "No, I think you should. I think you should do it again too. I think we should do it again." Like so he saw it. something there as well, regardless. Well, it was special for all of us. There was something really beautiful about it. So yeah, I mean, I had a brilliant experience doing that stuff. But it just—it's expensive to have pro people around. And, and yeah, you're um, obviously you're paying them, and yeah, everything else. I mean, though, sometimes at church when you hit on something, yeah, and nobody shows up because it's Labor Day or whatever, right? And you're just like, I just, I just talked about something i learned that has just crushed me yeah and i don't care that nobody was here like, yeah it I'm doesn't gonna matter speak it anyway like yeah. when there's something really beautiful sometimes it just doesn't matter yeah know? well and, and that's the and but implicit in colbert's admonition to do it again is the belief that we think that if we present if we advertise it right or the people that were there are going to tell all their friends that we think that we, we could do it again and it would go well. You know what I mean? I so yeah. it isn't just purely like, yeah, let's go get our asses kicked one more time. It's like, I think if we, <laughs> I think if, I think if we do it now that what we know now, we'll be able to do it in a way that more people will understand that this is going to, this is going to be fucking insane yeah. and you really need to come see this. So what what about uh what about the living room shows, man? Because I've never been to one, mm-hmm. and I'm really you know you talked about like early on like being out on the road and everything like that, and, yeah. and how you're out what like 180 days a year or something to yeah. that effect. Like, how do those feed you, man? How 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 do those feed your soul? How are they the thing that like gives you life, gives your music life? Like, I want to know more about them. Um, they came at a time when uh, basically to solve a problem that we had was we had 
the label had asked that I not tour until Branches came out, and this was at some point in 2008, and that was fine when we thought Branches was going to come out early 2009, but then I missed a deadline and it got pushed back to September, and so I had still kind of made that agreement with those guys. I needed to figure out a way to tour and lay low until the record came out, which meant no publicity really. You know, like yeah. if you're doing a normal tour, you're reaching out to public, you're reaching out to writers at the weekly papers everywhere, and there's just all this capital that they wanted to save for the big push with the record. So we basically needed a way to tour without spending any of that capital. House shows is how we figured out how to do it, uh, because basically. Only the people that were hungry for another trip, you know, another tour, who were really close uh, to the camp and were paying close attention to every little, you know, only like the, basically the people who, even though there isn't an official fan club, are like, would be the fan club members. Yeah, right, right. It's basically a way to go do a tour for those folks and to have a good time with my close, close fans, you know, and to make money. Um, have them pay me so I can play my jams for them. Right. Um, that was the basic. I mean, that's basically what I said. I said, Bob, it doesn't matter what it is. We just the, the things that have to happen is that I need to drive around the country and people need to pay me money, <laughs> and I need to play them songs. Like, yeah. yeah. This, these are the. This is the basic, non-negotiable elements of it. Everything else, it doesn't matter what it is. I'll play in houses, and he was like, "Really? Yes." So then we started from there, one step to the next. Pretty soon, we like within three or four days, we had the model of the house shows, the way, the way that we do them now. Right. House show touring, one of the benefits of it is if I'm out on the road anyways, it's a much easier schedule because load-in is five minutes before set time. Right. I'm playing... And then I'm playing for 70 minutes, and then I talk for 30 minutes, standing in someone's kitchen having a beer or whatever I'm doing, smoking a joint, outside, whatever. And then I go to my hotel. And at a certain point, right away, for some people, took me a second, but you can get the same catharsis and uh, therapy uh, and energy transfer from playing with the load in and just start playing as I can at a club under ideal circumstances, you know. Do you think it's even more so? Do you feel like you get more just because you're in such close proximity to everybody? There's a different kind of engagement. It's different. There's a there's a way in a in a rock club that you can overwhelm the audience that you can't just with the sheer decibels. But there is something different and unique about house shows that you really can't get. And there is a risk that I'm sort of used to now, I guess there's an enormous risk that I'm uh, I'm so used to that it doesn't register as risk but like you're the, there is no net you know what I mean you're vulnerable oh yeah, yeah oh, it's just like total vulnerability yeah, and yeah. that's something that's really profound I mean at rock clubs one of the things that I like about rock clubs is that if I'm having a night where I just have enough gas in the tank for the show and none to socialize, you can do that yeah. at a rock club. You cannot do that at a house show. You're, it's... You're engaged the whole It's the way. whole package. Like, you're, you know... Right. And my guess is you're not engaged like, hey, how's it going? How many kids do you have? But engaged like, what's the meaning of life? What does mystery look well, like? Well, yeah, I mean, I questions. kind of have set a precedent uh, for people to 
to associate certain questions with me and yeah. so that's the questions that they have on their mind when we are going to hang out you know and so yeah it's always it's always intense you know and i and i started it so it's not like i'm bummed about it but like it is always intense and so that's an that's a perk about the that's a perk about the house shows because when it's time to do that you do that and you do it all the way but you can't do it every you can't always do that it's too much that, i mean um, it makes sense i mean and it's funny as somebody from the outside yeah i always find it interesting how you got a set of house shows and then it's quiet for a little bit and then a set of club shows yeah and this explains that you know there's a, there's a different feel a different way that you're taking care of yourself in that well and one of the things that governs that is the economics of when you put out a record promoters booking agents everybody's excited for you to play in a club if you want to play in a club after the first go around on a new record you kind of really have to have a good reason for it like either there's some evidence that people just want more the first one sold out a month in advance you know that kind of thing but so i didn't put out a record for five years and so house shows you can really i mean they're just endless number of markets if you have a draw um already you know if you can sell a couple hundred tickets everywhere you can play house shows till the cows come forever home. i mean yeah. it's for me i'm wanting to manipulate the factors so that i can do this in a sustainable way and part of that is you make that bar high enough people take that risk and they're there and it is it's not like you're preaching to the choir necessarily but everybody has something invested that they want the show to they want this to be memorable they want to have a special time and they have uh, invested something in that you know and i think that the investment piece is key and i think you know you mentioned something earlier which you know frankly speaking is is the reason that I wanted you to come, uh -huh. you mentioned like something that you pretty much set up a precedent, right? In terms of I'm going to be a guy who's going to talk about what's out there in the ether. I'm going right. to be a guy who talks about mystery. I'm a guy who's come from an evangelical Christian background. Right. It didn't work. And I'm here to talk about what that feels like and looks like and where I go from there. Uh -huh. Right. And I think when people come to your shows, when I come to your shows. That I was reflexive, by the way. That wasn't a... Uh that wasn't no one can be deliberate about something like that you know what i mean that's just how you respond to the thing just so that i'm i'm not a mastermind or something you know what i mean like i don't i wasn't like hmm i know what's really going to work like i just was no. my body was just making these jams and i and i resisted it for a while yeah. but you know what i mean but yes i no, you know, i have done that yeah, somehow and I, yeah and i don't think there was an angle to that or anything i think like sometimes our stories are story yeah right and then the beauty of it is like i think the investment that people make the investment that I've made into your shows is like, this guy's story is familiar to mine. And I think right. I think there might be something here that I, I should take a listen to or pay attention to. Right. Do you find that's the case uh, when you're when you're in these uh, at the in your living room shows? Do you find that these are the conversations you're having most of the time? It depends on where we're at. I mean, every town is a little different and every town sort of has its own demographic. And the main sort of factor that I'm talking about is the Christian component is there that's that's a that's a thing that affects house shows a lot in terms of what the tone of the questions like if we're in Kentucky those questions are going to come up every show and there was one show in Louisville that I played that it was amazing 
because I wonder about this sometimes and why certain things go the way that they do. And so this guy was asking some questions that were all pretty pointed about religion, and I'm happy to talk about that. But I, as we, as the second or third question came out, and I realized this is the thing we were going down, I thought, okay, now if someone's here and they're not from this, this is going to be really tedious for them, you know. And so I just said, I kind of expressed that, and he said, give me a break. He said, okay, everybody who went to youth group their whole all through high school raise your hand and everybody raised their hand in the whole room and he was like so can we please and i was just like oh yeah yeah okay sorry and it was just so funny like everybody in that room in louisville kentucky was coming from that place they were having they had that experience and yeah. it's not that way at every show if i'm playing in brooklyn like maybe half of the people are coming from a place like that and zero of them are trying to admit it like they, they they've come here to you're running away from that yeah yeah yeah, yeah. you're trying to recast yourself in, you know not to a person but like that is the common like you move to new york and sort of shed your provincial self you know and your regional self does not sell here unless you're a cowboy and that's you're trying to work in porn or something like this and then <laughs> then it's great but you know so all that to say like from room to room it's just really different and, and from it just depends too like in a small town you tend to get shows where everybody knows each other or that there is very few degrees of separation between right. literally everybody in the room because there's only 45,000 people in this town. In New York, you get all strangers. So there's a coolness to the room in a Brooklyn show that I then have to overcome and get people out of their shell and be like, come on, you fucking posers. Like, Ask some real questions. You know what? Like, Quit pretending like you're rad. Like... You know, it's it's okay. Like, just just be yourself. And it's hard. It really is hard in this town, I've found, to get people to sort of be their, you know, platonic selves. Like, just to, just to take the risk of, you know, not being their sort of, like, branded selves or whatever. Right. Because and, and, it's a town where you really need a brand to, to kind of make it. Very much so. Um, it's a town where everybody has to be on point all the time. You yeah. walk out the door, and there's an energy. You walk out the door, that's right. And if right. you don't have it, you're going to get eaten up pretty quickly. So, yeah. So to break free from that and be your authentic self or my authentic self, whatever, is a very tough thing to do because you're, you're putting yourself at risk. Well, and here's the... Here's the uh, the temptation for me is that occasionally I will put together a show that can work on that level here in Brooklyn. And I show up there and I start doing it and I realize, oh, I'm doing it. I'm doing the thing. Like I've got, I'm on point. Like I'm presenting the right version of myself for this place and this time. And I have to remember like, don't fall into the same trap. They're here wanting you to conform to their sick twisted view of the world god bless everybody in brooklyn uh <laughs> but I, I won't and i and i need to be the thing that seasons the room the other way right to be myself which is not on point in the way that you need to be in brooklyn to sort of have credit or cachet or whatever you know and so I, so that those, those are battles that i'm in constantly because i fucking hate myself like all right and i the majority of the house shows that I've played, I've got, I've made a lot of headway in uh, really processing a lot of things that have reduced the level of self-loathing that I deal with mm. on a day-to-day -day basis. But the majority of house shows that I'm playing, you know, I've played 600 of them or so since, uh, or more since 2009. You know, 
550 of them have be, been me wrestling actively with my own self-loathing every night, just trying to get one up on it. And so in that state of mind, when I come into Brooklyn and I actually have the thing that all the hipsters think, he's got the thing, you know? I want to maintain that facade. Of course. I want to maintain that artifice, but then it's really fun then because I'm subverting myself even, but there's other parts of my brain that are so game to just blow that shit away, even when I'm the one who's representing it, you know? And so then it's really fun because then you can fuck with people. And then you really can put people off balance in a way um, that makes us open to new things, you know? And I would dare say that deep down inside every one of us Brooklynites is is the the thought like I need somebody to crack me open a little bit. I need yeah. I need somebody to rescue me from. Well, it's not. It's every from what I'm doing. Every humanite, you know. Yeah, it's yeah. Really... You know, as somebody who has to speak in front of people every Sunday, I can tell you the times that I go home and I'm like, I want to quit. Yeah. And I feel those times when I'm not authentic. Yeah. When I'm just saying something I think people want to hear. Yeah. And the times when I'm like, this is worth doing, are the times I'm like, I just was raw. I spoke yeah. about what he spoken about. I think people heard it, and I think yeah. people were too. And that's when I know I'm, there's something good going on, or whatever it might be. But well, yeah, I mean, being my authentic self in those house shows was sort of like the freedom, the moment where I sort of found uh, the ability, that because it was sort of like the stakes were quote unquote low enough, and because the environment was so homegrown for uh, you know not i mean it's, it's precisely because of where these things were taken at that there was an expectation a, a confusion of expectation people didn't know what to expect and so there i got to define what it was and so it allowed me to be myself more frequently hmm. and define vulnerability as a as a it was grounding for me it was a pure form of the thing that i got to really unpack it and examine and it was a extremely low risk because i was under they were all underplays they were truly underplays yeah, right right for for me in terms of the amount of heads i could get in in, in any town and uh and the ticket price was high enough to where people were motivated to be there and everybody also people were in a place that they had never been before and so when you're in a new place in a new and also a new form of a place. They'd never done this kind of show before. So everybody was just off balance and open. And so I got to define what it was and I got to be myself. And so that was when I started seeing vulnerability as the antidote to all this anxiety and self-loathing. Wow. Because in that low risk of a situation, it still is an enormous risk, but it was a risk that as a performer and whatever insanity comes along with that, that I was comfortable with. And it's, in some practical sense, it's like, well, if I mess this one up, there might be 50 people in this one Right, right, right. That's, that, why, you know, that's where the yeah. low risk is. It's yeah, not on, right. I mean, you can get it off the internet if you want. All I got to do is just call up YouTube and say, hey, shut this guy's thing down. Like, if I'm really that upset about it, sure, uh, if yeah. I feel like a, it's a, a, a limp dick show or whatever, um, but no, so it was low. It was low risk. But I responded to that by there's a power that I I was able to find pretty quickly by singing loudly, finding of my voice in a different way, my singing voice that I was able to exercise that was enough of a of a hook and something that I was proud of enough as a thing for people to come and see yeah. that it just gave me 
years and hundreds of shows to get to know myself and to see that dynamic at work again and again mm. of when you're vulnerable, it's always good. And also, I had had data from putting out all the paid with the line records that vulnerability, I was rewarded for times that I was vulnerable, for times that I was honest in an, in an awkward and in an uncomfortable way. That's my taste. And people that I respected rewarded me for that, po you know, with positive feedback. Yeah, yeah. Um, and money, you know, in, in some cases. Um, vulnerability to make a living from that. That's right. right? And from so that I, vulnerability. I, so I already had a, a, a sort of faith in vulnerability as a, as a way forward. But house shows really drove it home. Um, and it gave me a venue in which to work that out for a hundred, hundreds of shows, you know, to, because, and I'm a slow learner, man. So it really takes, it took that much time. It, well, it took that much time to get a little way down the road. I, you know, I, I still am rest. I mean, this is stuff that, uh, I'm still actively wrestling with for tonight. You know, you know, I think. And not, and not to simplify to this effect, but in some ways it sounds like you're talking about being able to almost be in, in therapy in some way. No, no, it is. You yeah, know, yeah, yeah, you, yeah. You you have this ability to say like I'm going to work this out right now. No, and, no it's self therapy. It absolutely yeah. is. And I and I'm sure that I if I had any regular schedule of being at home, I would have gotten in to see somebody a long time ago, and I probably already should have. But in lieu of that, like I I think if as I'm doing this work in a, in honest a way as I know how. Um, that for me, it's been really effective therapy. Yeah. I made branches and I sang those songs two or 300 times each. And um, they changed over time. My relationship with those songs changed. I healed, I grew, I got less defensive. Um, I got more empathetic, you know, it was really helpful to see myself and to see the, to take the problem out of my head and to, I it didn't have to stay in my working memory anymore, you know? I, I had I had externalized it, I guess they said, yeah, yeah. Uh, in the form of this record. <laughs> and then I got to sort of interact with that work over and over again in the profound and vulnerable way of singing. I sang, you know, singing is such a, I don't know if everybody thinks of it like this, but it's magical. Yeah. What it does to your brain when you sing something that you know and that you love, it like, it heals you, you know. It's really powerful thing. And so to get to do that, yeah, it's definitely therapy. I, I want to talk more about that, like especially the Christian branches. You know, like I, I mentioned to you earlier, that was huge for me. I remember. I'm so glad. Thank I you. Oh, I, yeah, no, it was it was huge, and I remember listening to it. And I remember being offended at first, and then yeah, I me remember, too. Yeah, I remember listening like seven or eight or nine more times, and then thinking like, this might be some of the best stuff in terms of like. My, my 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 some of the best psalms I, I call them psalms some of the best Thanks. psalms I've 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 listened to and and I, for people who don't know you, you can you came from this evangelical Christian background yeah and I hope I'm not misquoting here but I think somebody along the line had said to me that Cursor Branches was sort of this breakup with God album yeah so my friend um, and uh, sometimes colleague uh, Jessica Hopper wrote. I guess a feature for the Chicago Reader and she did this amazing thing she had been a publicist of mine previously but it, uh, it had been five years since we had worked together in that capacity and had bumped into each other here and there but she wrote this piece uh, and it ran in the Reader and in it she sort of made that um, quick 
way of describing the record and also expanded on it in a way that so every writer that I saw that I talked to in, in an interview situation had a copy of that story like well-worn and so it informed all of the press about the record her like a like a really great bio would except for it was a really remarkable piece of journalism yeah. about uh, my thing or whatever um, one that I felt understood in a way that you rarely do in that in those situations where you're reading it and I was like oh she got the she got nuances that these unspoken nuances that with just 10% of information, you people usually get the other 90% right, but she got the hidden 90% of the, of the iceberg or whatever. She described that accurately. She saw what was underneath. To, yeah, yeah, in a way that was really profound. And so that's where that, um, that's where that came from. And so in, in, a, in one way, she sort of, that she made that little brief descriptor that got everybody, because when writers at the weekly Every, you're looking for a story. You're looking for an angle. You, you're looking at these artists, and you got a dozen to choose from. And what can I write? The what? What's going to write itself the most? I mean, that's 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 not even cynical. That's just how we no, that's are. That's how I am. Yeah. That's yeah. how I am. You know, which tune is going to write the easiest? That's right. how I think of it. And so that's because of that little sound bite, which I think is a overgeneralization about the record. And she just says as much in the piece. But that that still stood, and it was such a boon for the record. It was such a benefit. And then the rest of what was in there really elaborated on what it was more specifically, which I think is, it is that. Right. It is that, because there is, there was a huge portion of the voices in my head that that's what they were saying. Yes, you know, this is it. And I even thought that it was a harsher critique of Christianity than it really is when later on when Christians started coming up to me and saying hey man you know I'm still a believer this is now a part of my devotional life because there was never a, a sphere to express doubt within my devotional life I had never really heard anything quite like this that I started to understand oh this isn't a record that sort of like Richard Dawkins is <laughs> yeah, Christianity. No, it's, it's not that at all. No, but that's part of me thought that's what I was doing. Interesting. But there was some part of me, my subconscious, in some form that was very careful not to do that. Like I, I walk up to that line five or six different times on the record, but I leave it open ended. And you know, and I didn't mean to do that. Yeah, you know what I mean. Well, you know, to me, that's what I loved about the record was you do walk up to that line. And then you say, but there's something that's still there. I'm not ready to throw the entire thing out. Well, what, it, what, 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 I, what I do over and over again from my perspective is, is I say, if this is how you are, then fuck right off to Jehovah or whatever, yeah, to, yeah, to, right. to the Christian traditional God. Um, and that is really, a, I think, a, an important clause because... Who is saying that Jehovah is the way that we perceive Jehovah to be? And is it Jehovah saying it about himself, herself, whatever? Or is it human traditions describing? And so that's what the record is basically saying. If you're this way, then fuck right off. Yeah. Because this is what Reformed Christianity says about you. 
And, and so, so I, yeah, I'm sorry to interrupt you. No, no, no please. I, you know, I, I think there's there's people who probably don't know your personal story behind who Jehovah was for you growing up. So when yes, you're writing, the, when the you're, normal Jehovah. Yeah. I mean, not the Jewish Jehovah. The, the you know, I say Jehovah because it's specific to Jesus Christ. You know, the Trinity. Yeah. But even the normal American God. That yeah. was my. You know. So so maybe what are a couple things that you felt. You know, you say, just fuck right off. What are the couple things that made you feel that way? The things oh, that you Oh, the story of the fall is just the stupidest. <laughs> I mean, God damn it. It's just the dumbest. You read Genesis 3, and it's just, it's it's beyond belief, truly. Not the, the imagery is fine. That Maybe that existed, maybe that didn't. Obviously, I don't think that it did. But right. the imagery is the, is the most believable part of it, that he sort of, out of magic, made the world in seven days. No problem. This is a very strange, unexplainable thing that we're doing, consciousness and the universe and all this. Very much so. The idea that in their innocence, these creations of his would be cast into what, for them, felt like ultimate uh, darkness, uh, ultimate uh, uh, out of his presence, for the reason that Genesis 3 gives, which is, hey, they just stay from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. If they get to the tree of life, then they're going to become just like us. Therefore, we got to get them out of here. That's the reason it gives for them leaving. Fuck that person. That person is an asshole, right? That character, that's not a... He was worried about them becoming like him. Becoming gods. Becoming gods. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's defensiveness and jealousy. This, this god that, it, that exists in parts of the tradition, this jealous god, this defensive god, what... What wowed ancient people was might and expressions of rage and might. That's what impressed ancient people. What impresses me? Something different than that. So the God that worked for ancient people in terms of those traditions and those stories that inspired devotion and awe and love doesn't inspire any of those things in me. I just think of a fucking bully. Yeah. You created everything exactly how you wanted it and you still cast yourself as the cosmic bully? Jealous? You created everything. What could you be jealous of? You dumb motherfucker. I mean, that's just a man projecting on the divine. You know what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah. That's not the divine coming and saying, look how much better it could be than you dum-dums have it. You know what I'm saying? And so... That's the that's the Jehovah that I'm saying fuck right off. Right, right. The Jehovah that that Paul believes in, that says, "Can the pot say to the potter, why have you made me this way?" Isn't it the prerogative of the potter to make some for wrath and some for glory? And the answer that are implied is, "No, you can't ask." And yes, that is his prerogative. And to that Jehovah, I say, fuck right off, because ideally, so you you can have me. If you, you can have my devotion if you're smart enough to know how to get it. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I do know what you're saying. Yeah. You can have my devotion. Yeah. I will gladly give it to the creator of the universe. He knows the key to my soul. She knows the key to my soul. It knows if it exists. And yet it's coming at me with might and pounding the fists on the earth and making the earth shake. That's not gonna woo me. Absolutely. Fuck that person. Yeah. And so that's so. This is so. It you know Christian. And if you want a Christianity that 
you get to do that in inerrancy's got to go, authority's got to change of scripture. Right. You know, these are things that have to become negotiable because they are. Inerrancy is a pipe dream. It doesn't exist. When was Jesus crucified precisely? Look it up. See if you can figure it out. Nope. There's three different accounts. You know? Well, it's not inerrant, you guys. Like, it's fine. It's okay. Get past it. Take it seriously now. Let's start doing that. You know? So this is the, it's, so the, the question in my mind was, you guys insist that God is this way. All right, let's start, let's start going to town with it. You insist that he's Romans 9? Fuck that. Yeah. You're an idiot. That is not, if that's what woos you, then you're a weak-minded person who only responds to fear. Compassion, love, mercy, infinite expressions of these things. That's what woos me. That's the best that we see in humanity. Won't we expect a little bit better from a deity? Oh, I just don't, I don't fucking understand why and people settle for the God that they settle for. That's, I mean, to, to your point, when I left the church, I left, I, I remember saying to someone, and I said, let me get this straight. The good news, the good news is that I'm loved so much. I'm loved so much that if I happen to mess up in this way or that way, the God that loves me so much is going to send me to an eternal torment. Yeah. That's not good news. Well, to me, so let's, let, 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 let's do the math on what that, that, that being with apparently infinite perspective can, can look and be connected to by every person in the world simultaneously. That's a, that's a, that's a lot of bandwidth, first of all. And you're, you're, you're telling me that, 90% of this bandwidth is grief taken up with just pain from these per individual outcomes going badly wrong. Right. Let's have a different characterization of God. If he is not just drowning in his own tears constantly, I don't want anything to do with him. Right. He set this up and this is how it's going for the majority of people that have ever lived this kind of torment and pain. And, and if he's not just in a constant state of, 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 ripping his clothes off agony for this situation that he's created for people who really feel the Judy Sills of the world, you know, like who were open to being devoted, who were devoted and still felt rejected by God. How does that happen? This God, just from that alone, when I think about it, it breaks me down. If he's not just blubbering with tears every conscious moment, then I don't want anything to do with that God. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I do. I know exactly what you're saying. I mean, if he's just like, yeah. what's up, bros? That's psychopathic. I mean, that's just fucking insane. No. That you would you would be responsible for that much carnage, let's say as a father or something like that, and you stroll into the scene and be like, all right, what do you guys want for dinner? Like business as usual? Fuck off. <laughs> it just it doesn't work. No. And, and as as I know you're a parent, I'm a parent as yeah. well. And it, my perspective changed even more when I became a parent. Well, that's when it shifted for me. That's when yeah. Genesis just was like, wait, what? Yeah. So, yeah, talk, go ahead and talk about no, that. No, no. I mean, that was it. Like, I, I understood. What does it mean to not know the difference between right and wrong? That means you are an innocent. Right? Right. Isn't, isn't that the very definition of innocence? That you just don't know the difference? So, in their innocence, utter in I mean, ha there's no state of innocence more profound than not knowing the difference between right and wrong fundamentally. Right. In their innocence, they make one mistake. They literally couldn't know the difference. And then they're separated from that. And then from that one mistake, they're separated forever. I, I just don't, I can't believe it. I, I literally, I literally don't believe that that happened. 
somebody intelligent enough to create intentionally. All we had to do was fuck, and it happened. You know what I mean? And yes. this is how I feel about it. Yeah. My wife and I, I mean. Like, and this is how I feel about the, the, the fruit of in, of intercourse. Right. You know, it, it, it was for me <laughs> initially, and then I this thing happened, and it changed me. And so the idea that the being that I'm that I'm to to be wooed by that I, I am to respond to just effervescently and naturally with love and affection and adoration this is the being that responds to the parent the the parent like responsibility of creating everything right. that way no it way doesn't happen. no fucking way well you know as a parent I sit there and I go my kid could be the worst of the worst of the worst. And there's no, oh, no way that I, I have their back for all yeah, time. Yeah, there's no way I send my kid away, no, no. period. No, no. So you're telling me that. I mean, I'm a human being. Because so it's me, my fault still. You, you know, know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. Well, you, you, you created it's, it. Right? I know. And I'm like, I would never do that. And yet you're telling me that a God who's infinite and way right. bigger than me will exactly. do that? That's not a that's I just not don't a God. believe it. Yeah, that. I don't believe it. No, and I'm like, it's not true. And that doesn't mean don't be Christian. I'm just saying understand that this is a tradition that you're a part of and that every generation of believers sort of... Is, is responsible for how that generation sort of goes and how's it how it looks from thirty five thousand feet, you know, through the the lens of history. And so, just understand that the I feel like the greatest sort of delusion of evangelical Christianity is that it is that it is not an active interpretation of the Christian tradition. That it is somehow we just do the very next thing that we're called on to do and that this is a it is a part of a rich tradition but you define it cultural things that are happening that you're not paying attention to are defining how you interpret it like that we're all changing we put our hands on a thing like the Christian tradition and Christian faith dick fingers faith you know uh, because it's often not anything about what it is, but that's what people call it. Yeah. I've lost my faith, they say. They, these faithless fucks tell me that, that I've lost my faith. They have a, they've got a bludgeoning uh, instrument that they, that they call faith, and I'm the one who lost my faith. It's craziness. Well, I um, mean, it's easy to say that when, you know, so like if, if, if Christian Branches is this deconstructive, it's, it, it sounds like deconstructing, right? And you, well, yeah. you, you basically mentioned it. You were like, if this is what it is, then fuck it, right? Like, yeah. that, you know, that's what you said. And it's easy to point to it and say, you've lost it. You've lost it because it's black and white. It's this and that. Well, but so the thing that's so sad about that is that I'm saying, if this is what it is, then fuck it. And people's response in most cases says, yes, that is exactly what it is. And how wrong you are for calling it out or whatever. And it's just like, no, no, there's another possibility. And it's not necessarily that you give up your faith. You, you just have to, you could just, you know, go two clicks to the left and you'd be fine. You know what I mean? I do. And, and I mean the left. I do. Right. I do. Right. I Specifically, the left. Christians, listen. Jesus was a liberal. Come on. A liberal, uh, brown-skinned uh, yeah, refugee. I mean, yeah, you would, you would have him escorted out of your church for sure. Uh, but that that just to sort of exploits the the racial thing. But I mean, like, even if he was the same, culturally the same to us as he would have been to the Pharisees, for instance. Like, if your first impulse when you hear about the plight of somebody who doesn't look like you is to not feel empathy, but to actually justify why the disparity is the way that it is, that is not Christian. That is that is specifically anti. Christ. I would, I would, I would say not only is it not not Christian, it's not liberal either. 
it, it's it's at the core. It's non-negotiable at the core. No, no, of that's, and that's what I mean. But yeah, I, but yeah. I guess what I'm saying is that that the, the conservative response to all things that one doesn't understand is let's leave it all the way yeah, that it is. Yeah. And that literally is what conservatism is yeah. at its core: is that everything's fine. Let's keep it the way that it is. Um, and so so that's what I'm that's what I mean. Like being a, an American patriot and being a Christ-like individual are not compatible stances, and that's hard language for American Christians, but I mean, there's just no way around it. It just really is not. If you want to read the Bible, if you want to understand Christ's teaching, if you want to understand the best of this tradition, the very best that it has to offer for the last 2,000 years, there's a hundred ways to do it that don't look anything like American Christianity. And we all need to take three steps to the left to get there. And it's it's not bad news, you guys. It's great news. There is a solution. Um, and it is, I mean, and I, and I don't mean just politics. When you think about refugees, you got to take three steps to the left. When you think about gay people, you got to take three steps to the left. When you think about abortion, you got to take three steps to the left. You got to understand there's an imbalance still in the world that is ongoing in a way that is difficult to define, and that is females are way smarter than we are, and they have less power than we do. And th those tables have to be turned. We have to trust them w implicitly with everything. If this ship is going to be righted, and they're way smarter than we are about everything, especially their bodies. This is so, and I understand babies, babies, babies. If you believe in heaven, they're going there directly. So sleep easy. They don't have to deal with any of this pain. If you don't believe that, you're a fucking monster. If you're a Christian and you don't believe they go directly to heaven, something is very wrong with you. So they go directly to heaven, but these living people who are affecting everybody that they're running into, they need to be trusted. Right. We need to write the wrongs there and just say sorry we were wrong it's you just it's it's on you from now on all of these things so much harmony is available but fear is what's driving this other side fear so i'm sorry now i'm on this political soapbox but it just they really do coincide when you when you become more christ-like in the way that you view the world guess what happens three steps to the left I'm not I mean it's just how it goes you become a hippie you turn the other cheek all that to say like we are actively interpreting this tradition and the choices that we make we have a chance it's like oh I wish the next generation would have a chance to we have a chance right now we cannot we can stop settling for these really bad imaginings of God these awful distortions of God that aren't helping anybody they're they're really they're keeping us separate from one another they're keeping us just well they're divisive hurt they're divisive, and lonely yeah. and hurting one another and, and you know first of all amen i mean you know what yeah, what, what do you say matter you know for me like I, gracie hears this all the time like people say to me like well now that you've taken three steps to the left are you still a christian and I say, I'm probably more of a Christian than I've ever been in my entire life. Like, yeah. I probably care more than I ever have in my entire life. Well, and there's also another outcome that's possible. Which is? I'm not a Christian. Okay. So, you know? So, I, and yet, here we are talking about this stuff. But if I fill out the questionnaire, the answer is no. I'm, it, not, a, is I'm it, not a Christian. Is it the, the what, what's the, what's the, 
None, none. You're a nun. I, I am. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I just am. I'm. Uh, I'm running the numbers every day, just trying to know what it is. Uh, but I have enough data to know how to act in the morning and at noon and at night. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Like I have outstanding kind of contracts with my wife and my kids and my colleagues and people that I owe my self and my attention and so like I do I, I know what to do I know people talk about being good as though it's some difficult thing to like do it's like the fuck is wrong I mean yeah it you do have to like try but like you can fuck up less if you work if you work at it if you have a motivation to do it if you're not so if you're willing to take credit for your mistakes and you're willing to start holding those up that's it you can be better and all it takes is just saying oh dude I fucking whatever it is like this is it's this a little is humility is what it is yeah it's it, just it, telling yeah. the truth yeah. it's just saying enough uh, art you know facade like and, and it goes back to what we were talking about earlier when we were like it's not authentic you know yeah. when you're when you're pandering to others yeah. it just isn't going to be you that your truth does not come out in that yeah and and you're diluting any any power that any of us have to do something kind of helpful I think is to be all our to to our each of our perspective is unique somehow even though we're so similar but each of us have a unique way of sort of putting it and understanding it so that we can sort of illuminate mm -hmm. everybody all of us illuminating one another with our unique perspective that's it so if you water down your unique perspective by conforming to some group big or small you're you're doing everybody and yourself a disservice like we could have we could have more data from you but you're hiding it you know that's sex for me was dot 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 suddenly that's a perspective that you never considered before and now your imagination is expanded and your empathy is expanded and when somebody says something that you don't understand about sex this very hidden thing that we none of us reveal anything true about except for to the people that we must you know uh then, it, you know, sorry, I. Well, I just but you're on something like the because. Dude, <laughs> shit, man. No, because, uh, you know, I think what you're saying is like when you're learning stuff, what you're doing is you're saying, I'm going to get it out there and allow others to learn stuff too. I want others, Well, yeah, and, and yeah. not because I know anything that other. So I do know something that other people don't, and that is my experience. And it's true for every one of the pushing 10 billion people on Earth. On Earth is that we all have a unique experience that if we sit and listen to any any single person's story well told right anyone and it's riveting it could be a miniseries any human on earth that has lived for any amount of time you could tell their story and all of us would be riveted it's because it's will make the world go around well, it's because and so it's not to assume that my perspective is valid is not to say that my I have anything over anybody else, but I'm a point of consciousness. So my perspective is valid. Just right. it is it, because yeah. yours is and his is and everybody's is. And so I don't want to take up all the bandwidth with mine, but like it is my vocation to express my perspective. Yeah. Um, and if I am a, a careful steward of that I feel like I could it could be helpful yeah and yeah. that is just I, I, but that goes for every person that has we all have ways to express ourselves in our lives to you know 
you look at Jerry Seinfeld or something like this and you think, oh, his manner is so quirky and it's so interesting. And wouldn't it be neat to have a comedy career so I could develop a manner that was kind of quirky and interesting and kind of charming and to be around? It's just like, well, you have kids and a wife, don't you? Like, sometimes the way that my grandpa said shit was so funny. Right. Like, you could right. be the source of that. Not like you're some big-headed thing, like, oh, look how funny I am. I'm always doing some shtick. But just, like, pepper your life with beautiful little twists of the, the little, the little everything that, that you are. The, the funny things that you remember. Yeah. And that you you just feel too sentimental, and so you don't say them to your wife, who may be remembering the exact same thing. Like, express your shit. you yeah. got to say it out loud. We're all just so, like, in our heads, and I am too, and in our bodies, and it's all we're all just so bound up and so fucking lonely, you know? Yeah. And so just, like, get together with people and get it out. Talk to people. And if you got a guitar and that's your thing and you're you're you know good at it enough to where you can kind of it's make, not make all trauma yeah, you know yeah. for everybody uh, then then do it you know so last last question then what do you feel like you're learning now oh man um, right now I'm learning to have a home um, I'm learning to to like uh, somehow or another I went 28 years without ever kind of like letting down my guard because we moved around a little bit as a kid and and there was a sense that we were waiting to like land at home and we did at, at times but there was enough movement where I just I guess I never just let let my hair down or put my bags down or whatever you want to say kind of hype, metaphorically and uh, when I turned 40 we lived in our house for 10 years and I realized not only have I lived in this place longer than any place I've lived since I was like 11, maybe even longer than that, I think any, than any, yeah, 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 longer than I'd lived anywhere. And I still hadn't remembered to do that. Uh, but also the odds were that this is where they're going to cart me off, either to the morgue or to the uh, old folks home. And so I thought, oh, and you're married and you have a couple of kids and like you're home yeah you know? yeah uh and home shouldn't rel uh revolve around place so much maybe but for me it kind of did and also because i've been a transient my whole adult life just touring constantly that is a really big component of it is that i just had never i'm never home and so it didn't feel like home it's so just this year i'm, I'm learning how to how to live in my house and yeah, so yeah, there's a lot, but that's a, that's a really big one, and one that's maybe a little bit more general. That doesn't have to do with rock and roll so much. Just like you know, the funny thing is, though, I think that one's going to resonate with people in Brooklyn or people in New York more. Oh, I'm sure because none of us are this looking is a at transient this place. Like home. place yeah. you know, everybody's going okay. When my life really starts, yeah, I'll be in this place. This feels like college, or it feels like a, a, a the predecessor to settling down, or right. like still. And yeah, I, not giving up your rock and roll dream in a way. Like living in Brooklyn is a rock and roll dream no, of very, itself. Yeah, very much, yeah. In and of itself. <laughs> well, it's also the dream of people who can afford it. But uh, Well, that's what I mean, yeah, to be yeah. able to be here and to sort of like, yeah, I can find equilibrium in Brooklyn. Like, who can do that? Yeah. And, and, that's hard. And I think the challenge is do it. Find home here. Like, you know, we have kids. We live in the city and they go to a school. For their sake, yeah. Friends, and and we, you know, we do that. But 
it's not the default. And like you said, 28 years, it wasn't the default for you. And all oh, of a sudden man. you're like, this is it. I gotta, we gotta, I do, gotta this. do it. And I gotta do it even though we might move. And you know, it's like having a dog that you keep your distance from because you know, they're going to die. Like that's a terrible way it's to awful live. Way to live. But they're going to die. You are going to move like, you know, rent control. I guess it doesn't end, but everything else changes, right? <laughs> well, it's ending slowly but surely. It, yeah, I guess so. Yeah, so. Yeah. But like, you know, th- it's going to change, but invest in it right now anyways, even though, you know, you know, loving the dogs that we have, I know what it means now having lost our best dog yeah you know more than a year ago like i know what it's i know it's coming and it's it's a dog you know so i'm crying and but like that's just the tip of the iceberg for it's a it's a metaphor for our whole lives like why why put off investing in a thing just because it's going to end like exactly you don't treat people that way and you shouldn't you shouldn't treat anything that way like we can really put down roots knowing that it's going to hurt like hell when we get ripped up out of here but that's you know that's what makes life worth it yeah and you're going to leave with connections with people some of them are going to be painful connections and some of them are going to be life-giving and but that's being a human you know that's just it's just a crazy thing that we're getting to do this at all you know and thanks for saying that and th- thanks so much for doing this with us oh man really, it's really, my really pleasure i mean it. sitting back here drinking sparkling waters yeah, it happens to be a beautiful day, too. Yeah, it's gorgeous. Yeah, so it's a win for everybody. How do we find you online? Where should we buy your stuff? Uh, DavidBazan.com. Uh, D-A-V-I-D-B-A-Z-A-N. Um, iTunes is a great way to buy records if you listen to stuff digitally. Yep. And you know what? If you listen to stuff on Spotify, that is Word. If you listen to records multiple times... Send the artist 10 bucks in some way. If that's buying a record at a store and just having it on your shelf and you never open it, word. Just if you love something and you only ever stream stuff, that's okay. Yeah. Um, Thanks again, man. Appreciate your time. Yeah, thank you. Thanks so much for tuning in today. If you like what you're hearing, give us a shout at Midrash NYC on social media. And please subscribe, rate, review us on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. We hope you can join us for our next FCQ event with Lisa Sharon Harper. Tickets and info at ForefrontNYC.com slash FCQ. Sound engineering and music provided by The Astrolab. Organize your digital life at TheAstrolab.com. Thanks. We'll see you next week.